Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Wisdom Wednesdays. Today, I want to talk about some new research that is pretty concerning to say the least. So the study was recently published in the Lancet um, Journal, um, Diabetes and Endocrinology, part of that journal. And what they did is they um, analyzed data from something called the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration. And they looked at data from one and a half million participants who were followed for 23.1 million person years. So that's, um, you know, something like 18 years or something, 17, 18 years each person. And that's what it equated to. And what they found was that for every decade that you have type 2 diabetes, it shortens your life by three and a half years compared to not having diabetes. And this data comes from 19 different high-income countries. And they estimate that amongst 50-year-olds, life expectancy of those diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at the age of 30 is a whopping 14 years shorter than that of their peers without diabetes. And for those who got diagnosed at the age of 50, their life expectancy is six years shorter. And then you can kind of interpolate between those two things and say, you know, if you're diagnosed at about the age of 40, your life expectancy is probably nine or 10 years shorter than someone who hasn't. And the strongest associations with earlier age diagnosis of diabetes um, were uh, for vascular issues. So things to do with the cardiovascular system, so myocardial infarction or heart attack and stroke, as well as um, other causes of death such as respiratory, neurological, and also infectious diseases. So, so what this shows is that diabetes isn't just about diabetes. Diabetes, when you have diabetes, your metabolism is completely screwed up and it dramatically increases your risk factors for a whole heap of different diseases um, that that can affect uh, metabolism, heart function, brain function, um, immune function, all of these things. So what do we actually do about it? Well, avoidance is, is clearly king. You want to avoid developing type 2 diabetes um, at all costs. Um, but if you do have type 2 diabetes, um, there's a lot of things that we can think about. And I think the things for prevention are very similar to those um, for people who have it to try to reverse it. So firstly, just a very quick overview about what are the sort of things that drives diabetes. And, it, and it's really, it's multifactorial. The biggest thing that drives diabetes, and anybody who says otherwise, I think is stark raving bonkers, but the biggest thing is insulin resistance. And insulin resistance develops mostly from carbohydrate, processed carbohydrates, and I think particularly ultra-processed foods uh, and sugar. And now with some people um, having high amounts, and when we say high amounts, above 15% of calories in the diet from saturated fat can be an issue. And saturated fat is worse in the presence of a high carbohydrate diet. So if you have a keto diet with no sugar or carbohydrate, saturated fat is a lot less of an issue. But um, maybe we'll do a deep dive into that one day. But the other things that drive diabetes as well as insulin resistance um, are, are th- and, and, and by the way, sorry, insulin resistance isn't just 
about the nutrition and, and the carbohydrate. It's also about the other end, you know, whether you're exercising, whether your mitochondria are functioning well. So being sedentary um, is a massive, massive risk factor. The other thing that's a big risk factor is inflammatory cytokines. So cytokines I've talked about before are messenger molecules. And we know again that when you're sedentary, there's more inflammation in the body. We now know as well that when you eat a diet high in ultra-processed foods, there's high levels of inflammation in the body. And, and, and I think more and more we should be focusing on those ultra-processed foods. But other things that contribute would be mitochondrial dysfunction. So you're just, you think of your mitochondria, they're like the batteries of your cells, but they do much, much more than just run energy in the cells. They're responsible for so many processes. And that mitochondria mitochondrial dysfunction from a combination of being sedentary and a poor diet is a big driver of not just diabetes, but mental health and, and other physical health conditions. Another thing would be high levels of fatty acids in the blood, which we see in people with diabetes. Uh, and, and, and that's why a lot of the early focus was on reducing fat for diabetes. But we get high fatty acids in the blood when we just uh, overconsume calories and don't move very much. So you can see a bit of a theme um, that is emerging here. And then there are certain genetic variants that will predispose people to type 2 diabetes. So if there is a strong history of type 2 diabetes in your family, I highly recommend that you um, get a genetic test um, and could go with Denise Furness. She's been on this podcast a couple of times, Your Genes and Nutrition. She is an absolute gun. And then you can start to get very personalized, tailored advice. And, and I would recommend that, that people do that if there is that strong family history or if you have diabetes, you got to find out your gene variants because this has a big interplay. And, and I, um, I know my ge genetics and, and I'm at pretty high risk of diabetes genetically. Um, so I need to watch my diet and I need to make sure that I'm exercising. So the, the, the genes that tend to be problematic, the FTO gene, if you've got a certain uh, variant of that, and then there's something called transcription factor 7 like 2, the TCF7L2, um, if you've got a certain polymorphism of that, um, saturated fat, particularly above 15% in the diet, can be really, really problematic. So there is no one-size-fits-all is kind of what I'm saying. But let's, um, let's now talk about what I think you can do, both to prevent, and remember prevention is key, and to treat it if you have it. So with prevention, I think the single best thing that you can do is by a continuous glucose monitor. So you can actually buy them now. I had one um, recently. I had it on for, for a few weeks. And, and basically, um, you just, as a little probe goes into your skin, you, you jam it into your, into your stomach. And these little tiny probes, little needles go into your skin and they sample your blood glucose continuously. So you can then see what foods spike your blood sugar because Different foods will spike different people's blood sugar. And then you can do little experiments. Like if you're having high carbohydrate, you can add lemon to it or more fat to it and make sure you got fiber and see what happens when you add protein in. And, and, and you'll see that there will be certain things. Like for me, grapes send my blood sugar haywire, right? And, and certain other fruits don't. So getting a continuous glucose monitor 
this is where you start to really get personalized. So that would be my first port of call if you can afford it. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the one that I have. And then the second thing, I think from, from a dietary intervention perspective, particularly if you have type 2 diabetes or, or you're trying very hard not to get it or you're on the verge, is a low-carbohydrate diet. Now, and that can take two forms. You can have a high-protein, low-carb, moderate-fat diet, or you can go full ketogenic diet. And, and the research shows that both of those diets, a high-protein diet and a ketogenic diet, are significantly superior to a low-fat diet um, for reversing um, diabetes. So um, I would recommend you try both of those things. Personally, I find a high-protein diet easier to, to do continuously than a ketogenic diet, but some people find a ketogenic diet really, really well. Um, and I think particularly if you have metabolic syndrome, so if you've got high triglycerides as well as high blood sugar uh, and low HDL cholesterol, high blood pressure, high waist circumference, any three of those five, that metabolic syndrome would dictate that you should definitely be on one of those two diets and, and just have a play with it. The next thing that is absolutely critical is exercise. And because it, particularly if you have diabetes, it becomes more critical because insulin it just doesn't work. You're resistant, so you can't get the sugar into the cells. But there is a backdoor mechanism for getting sugar into cells, and it's called the GLUT4 translocator protein. And I remember this from 20 years ago in my master's, but it is basically if the front door of insulin is locked, the back door is always open and that back door gets open from exercising. So exercise massively um, upregulates GLUT4 translocator protein and opens the back door to your cells. And, and I highly recommend that you move after every meal. After Just don't eat and just sit down. Whenever you eat, go and go for a walk or do some light exercise. Just get moving um, so that you're actually helping to dispose of that blood sugar as well. The next thing I think is massively important is good sleep hygiene because sleep in and of itself um, will massively spike your your uh, blood sugar. And, and I uh, woke up to this massively 10, 15 years ago when I went to the States and I was only there for a week and, and I, I was in different time zones. I was all my Sleep was screwed up. I did it for a few beers as well, which didn't help. And I came back and my blood sugar was 6.5 and it's normally 4.5. So even a few nights bad sleep plays havoc with your blood sugar. It also then affects your hunger hormone the next day, ghrelin, so you eat more. And, and it has you have higher cortisol, so you crave sugary, fatty, salty foods. And leptin is lower, which um, governs voluntary physical activity. So you're much more likely to sit on your arse. So sleep hygiene is absolutely critical. And then for some people, if you do need that little thing, is keeping your saturated fat below 10%, which is still a significant amount. So, so as long as you're keeping that below 10%, that generally will not be an issue. And then the other thing is just the, the stress management that we've talked about um, before lots on the podcast. So there we go. That is, um, I think, uh, some really interesting research just about that massive risk factor of having diabetes. And, and remember, that although it's an arbitrary cutoff for diabetes, it's just high blood sugar is a real issue and high insulin that accompanies the high blood sugar 
just creates metabolic mayhem. So all of those things that I talked about doing, um, you should be doing for prevention to make sure that your metabolism is working really well. The only other thing I would throw in there actually, and just think about it, is cold exposure, um, which is very, very good for your mitochondria. So that cold water exposure, cold showers, getting in cold swimming pools or the cold bay or cold ocean, uh, or every now and then doing an ice bath. And you don't have to have the ice bath right down at two degrees. You can stick a pump, put, put a pump, uh, a bunch of ice in the bath and bring it down to like 10 degrees. So there we go. Hopefully um, that can be useful. And, and if we do all of those things, uh, um, you could add 14 years to your life if you start at 30 and make sure you don't get it. Um, and even at the age of 50, you can add six years to your life um, by ensuring you don't get diabetes versus those who do have diabetes. So that's it for this week. Catch you next time. 